Ladies, listen up. This is a public service announcement. This year has whipped our collective butts. And if there's one gift we could and should be giving ourselves, it's the gift of pleasure. Jimmy Jane is founded on the inclusive principle that everyone deserves to experience shame-free, sex-positive pleasure to empower your overall well-being. They believe that sexual wellness should be unapologetically fun, adventurous, and, well, insanely hot. Their line of sex toys is modern, premium, and forward-thinking, and we're all about it. Whether you're single or coupled up, there's something for everyone. From vegan massage oils to ergonomically designed vibrators to sexual wellness products to sensual massage oil candles, they have a fabulous Valentine's Day gift guide on their website, as well as well-priced Valentine's Day offers to give even the most timid shopper a reason to feel butterflies. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to jimmyjane.com for a discreet shopping experience. And pro tip, click through their blog posts for ideas on how to explore your adventure side and learn some new techniques. Need another reason to shop? Use our code OFFTHEGRAM20 for 20% off at checkout site-wide. You're welcome. I like to not address negativity and hate as much as I can in general, because the best way to handle it is to ignore it, but sometimes you kind of can't. Welcome back to Off The Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, guys. Yay. What's up, ladies? Okay, so today we have Gabby Hanna, who is all of the things. She is a New York Times bestselling author, billboard charting music artist, vlogger, and YouTuber with upwards of a combined 20 million followers. She is not busy at all. And now she's got a brand new book out called Dandelion, which recently debuted number five on the New York Times bestsellers list. It's a pretty raw and sometimes uncomfortably honest collection of illustrated poetry that takes readers on what's essentially Gabby's mental health journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance. It's a follow-up to her breakout hit, Adultolescence, which I have a hard time saying, Adultolescence, which explored what it means to feel like a kid and an adult all at once. Gabby is an artist who boldly and vulnerably shares her life with her fans. We are grateful to have her on the show today to share her mental health journey and how she handles the haters in a world of cyberbullies and cancel culture. But first, our weekly catch-up topic. Yay! Oh my gosh, I can't wait to start diving into the topic. But this is Heidi. Uh, we decided for our weekly catch-up, we're going to ask everyone on this Zoom, what would be your personal theme song? So for me, I think I've like broken myself and got been broken so many times and like rebounded that I would be titanium. That would be Ooh, so, so one. wait, I feel like there's a double meaning there though. Like you, okay. I know that you meant physically broken, yes, but like that sounds very, that's very ripe with uh, that could be a whole conversation in and of itself. I could take that off in a whole other direction. Well, I think it can be both. I mean, like I've had a lot of trials and tribulations personally and emotionally too. So I think that, and but I do you know, also I've been actually have titanium in your body from your, I do have I do metal too. in my wrist and I don't think on zoom you can see that. And does Heidi, does everybody <laughs> ask you if you beep when you go through airports? Cause I, 
we don't beat, yes, but yeah, people that, think because yeah. I, I have lots yeah. of metal in my body too from being a horseback rider and taking several million tumbles. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what's fun about your physical stuff? I thought that you meant like emotionally broken. And I was like, yes, girl. <laughs> no, I, I've absolutely gone through a lot of crazy emotional stuff. My upbringing, my childhood is nothing like anybody who knows me today would imagine. Um, so there's that aspect too. So thanks. <laughs> Well, Sia, like, I mean, she's super moving. Like anytime I, I could listen to her, like sing the phone book and just be like, oh, entranced, right? Um, I have kind of like, uh, I guess an obvious one. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit pedestrian for me being like, cause I'm like the EDM freak. So most of my music's very niche and you might not even know what it is, but I am picking one that I think you will know, which is Diva by Beyonce. And the reason why is because my like favorite line that I chant over and over, it's totally my pump up song, Megan, like you're, you have a pump up song. Uh, you know, Diva is a female version of a hustler. And I love the idea of a hustler being a good thing and a diva being a good thing and owning it. And a diva doesn't have to be a brat, right? Because I'm not a brat, but I do believe in, you know, straightening your crown every morning and and walking through your day like you're wearing that. And my, uh, I love to embody the, um, just kind of like the idea of being a hustler, right? Like not in a shady way, but in a way where like, what I said this morning, instead of saying the a, a not so nice word was grabbing life by the cherries. That's my new the one. Cherries. <laughs> Yeah, you are the ultimate hustler, James, for real. I try in, in the most inspiring way possible. OK, well, Brittany, because I love Brittany. I'm feeling for her right now. I feel like she's going through some things just judging oh, God, from her Brittany. Insta. But work, bitch, always makes me want to work, bitch. And yes. that is my jam. I ran the New York Marathon with that in my ears on repeat. And it just like for some reason, it lights a fire. And I got a soft spot for the for Brittany. Did you listen to it for all three hours and 39 minutes of your marathon? Um, probably like two hours and 15 minutes. Like anytime <laughs> awesome. I was like, this sucks. I'm like, you got to work, bitch. Sipping your martini in France. You got to work, bitch. And I, I, would, I would just rally. I could talk about Britney Spears for probably the entirety of a podcast. Right? I, I I'm obsessed with actually. her. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fucking love her. <laughs> Right. Awesome. I like, and I was one of the founding editors of teen people magazine. Like I'm that old, but like, you know, I hung with her, was, you know, backstage with her, traveled with her, profiled her. So my love for her is deep and, and longstanding. And I just root for her like nobody's business. Yeah, totally. Um, love me some Brittany. You've got to have a good one, Gabby. You're a music girl. I have so many. I feel like my, one of my all time favorite songs of forever um, is Chandelier by Sia. So like I'm also. Oh, yes. But right now, have you guys heard? You, there's no way you've heard it. 30 by Bad Flower. It's about okay. Sing a little. Sing a it's little. It's about being like the lyrics are like I'm. Um, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I overeat and self conscious. I'm only scratching the surface, and it's just basically saying like everybody pretends like they know what they're doing and they don't. This is not what I expected thirty to be like, and I'm almost thirty. So I I know song. February birthday, right, girl? Yes, yes, Aquarius. See, we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a really good lead into what we're going to talk about today. So I think I should just kick it off from there. So let's dive in. All right, this is Jamie. A recent study from the Journal of Abnormal Psychology found that the percentage of U.S. teens and young adults reporting reporting mental distress, depression, and suicidal thoughts and actions has risen significantly over the past decade. The CDC reports during the 
during late June 2020, 40% of people in the United States admitted to struggling with mental health challenges and substance abuse issues. Can we just take that in for a minute? 40%. It's probably higher. The depression rate tripled statistically in quarantine for the U.S. It's devastating. So, Gabby, you make uh, gut-wrenching confessions in your work, openly sharing your personal struggles. Today, we want to talk about staying sane during a pandemic and how you handle some of the toxic side effects of living so publicly on social media. So let's get to it. Welcome, 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 welcome. There's a lot to dive into here. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into here because I like that um, when Megan was doing her intro, she talked about cyber bullies and cancel culture. And I think, you know, the, uh, just to kind of kick it off, the, the reason that we started this show, Gabby, is because we're all kind of like influencers of a different ilk. We each kind of came from different professional backgrounds. Most of us are kind of accidental influencers. We came from more of the professional realm. Heidi and I, at least, you know, it is kind of like the primary crux of our business and what we do. And it is terrifying out there. And there are some days when it almost just doesn't even seem worth it, especially with the the constant fear of the cancel culture. Like if you say one, if you take one misstep that the whole world could implode on you. So can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Because we understand stand it on a fraction of the level. I can't even imagine having the followership that you have, especially having them be all young people, which tends to come with a lack of a filter sometimes, or there's a lot of keyboard warriors, right? They say really mean things without thinking it through. It's just part of the culture. Um, So I'd love to hear your experience. Ooh, that's one thing. Like, I don't even know where to start. You kind of hit the nail on the head when you said you can't, you can't make a mistake, but it's not even like, I can't make a mistake today. It's I better not have ever made a mistake anywhere in my entire life because it's like, you know, I've had social media on Twitter since, you know, I've had Facebook since 20, 2009. I've had Twitter since 2010, Instagram since 2010, 2011. So if at any point in that time, the last decade, I've made some type of mistake, or if I had a bad experience with a person who decides to come forward and talk about that today, even though it's something that happened a decade ago, it doesn't matter. Um, and it, it it's difficult because a lot of people who kind of jump onto those trains don't remember what life was like in that time. Jokes really were different. And it's not to say that a lot of them were like excusable or that the mindset was okay and that it shouldn't have been corrected. But like, there's, there were a lot more like offensive jokes being told in 2009, like internet culture used to be about really offensive, edgy humor to get attention. When you look at, you know, Daniel Tosh or, I almost said Louis C.K., but I don't think he's the best example. (laughs) It was just so different. Like you look at South Park, the Simpsons, Family Guy, it was just different humor. So now people pull up these tweets from like 2010 where people, I didn't even have a social media following. But also you were a teenager in in that time period. Like, I think it really takes us back to your first book, which was a New York Times bestseller, which was really about straddling adult life and child life. Like you weren't, you weren't a fully developed grown human in those moments. And it's like hard to be accountable for things that you may have said when you were 19 years old. Yeah. And it's just like, should I be? (laughs) Like, I think that it's important to bring it to light and uh, talk about it. But like the way that people want to just completely cancel you out and shut you up. And I think that people don't like to hear anything other than 
I was wrong. I'm a terrible person. Please forgive me. I'll be better. And sometimes I feel like when you're just trying to explain yourself, it's often misconstrued as making excuses. And it's like, well, no, I'm not making excuses. I just don't want you to, you know, go about your life thinking, oh, in 2010, Gabby was like a horrible person. Cause that's, it's not what it, what it is. It's just people change and times change. And, you know, I had no idea who I was going to be in the future. And I was modeling my behavior based on what I was taught and what I saw and what was popular at the time, you know? You really are a bit of a renaissance woman because you do music, you are a writer, you're all these different things. How do those different outlets, do those different outlets help you process some of this crap? Like, tell us about your book, your music, everything you've got going on. Honestly, everything that I do started as just a way to process. That's all it ever was. Um, But I'm also like a workaholic and have real problems with that. So everything that I do for fun, I end up having to make it feel productive towards my career, (laughs) which is fine. I think that's what art is about is taking the thing you're passionate about and making it into a career. But everything that I do really just comes from the heart and it comes from a very natural and authentic place, but it's the only way I really know how, how to process. Like I've spent years in therapy, but I don't get nearly as far in a therapy session as I do a recording session at the studio. So what came first? What came first was uh, poetry because I was doing social media stuff. And then I just wanted to do poetry because it's something I'd always liked. And I was tweeting sad limericks at like 2 a.m. And my fans kept saying, write a poetry book. Where is it? So I wrote that. And then I wrote a song to promote my poetry book and it ended up doing pretty well. So I was like, okay, this, this is what I love doing. It's something I always wanted to do, but I was, I was a little scared. So I, I dipped my little toe in the water and people responded really well to it. So I shifted. Were there haters from the beginning? I mean, because I think anyone with a following, there are negative people and there are oh. positive people because you're not making a statement if there are negative people, right? Totally. But the negativity was usually honestly pretty sexist from the start. Um, The the hate was always my physical appearance, my weight, and the fact that I was a woman speaking. So how did you respond publicly, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because obviously you just said that you get it out in your lyrics, in your poetry and music. How How did you address it publicly? I don't know that like I ever directly did in terms of that. Like I I used to do videos where I just read mean comments out loud in a funny way. Um, But then, I mean, it kind of depends on what I'm addressing. Like if there's a really serious rumor or like scandal I need to address, it looks different than me addressing like a troll or a hater on the internet. So it's circumstantial, I guess. I like to not address negativity and hate as much as I can in general, because the best way to handle it is to ignore it. But sometimes you kind of can't. But back in August, you kind of took a time out, right? Like you were like, I'm done. Like you just took a time out. Tell us about that. That situation was completely different because that is where it turned from trolls and haters into actual malicious smear campaigns led by like I was talking about friends from your past who just kind of look for a come up. It was just kind of that situation. And then once it became viral to do that, it's a dog pile. So it's like one person from years and years ago comes forward and tells a bunch of lies. It gets millions of views and then somebody else starts a lie and then somebody else starts a lie. And then it's just like people who literally as of, 
a week before that, we were friends. They were on my channel. We were collabing. We were fine. And now all of a sudden they're coming out saying that I'm a terrible person and a nightmare. And when I see that, I say, well, that's so weird because you were just at my house last month. And when it was benefiting you, you wanted to collab and you wanted to work together and you're inviting me to your parties and you're posting me on your Instagram. And now it's popular to hate me. And now I'm a terrible person. So were you being fake and using me for followers and views and attention then, or are you doing it now? Because uh, it just, to me, it just never added up, I guess. I don't know. I can't even imagine. You grew up in small town, Pennsylvania, which did, did you know that James? She grew up, Jamie just transplanted to Pennsylvania, but you grew up small town life, right? So is this like, like what's the difference between small town life and your upbringing and what you're dealing with now? And how did that not prepare you for it or prepare you for what you're dealing with now? Oh my God, I wasn't prepared at all <laughs> in any way, shape or form um, in a lot of ways, honestly, even in just like knowing how to talk to people or communicate or have healthy relationships. I went from a very abusive household to a very abusive relationship to millions of followers on the internet. So it's like, I, I never knew how to be professional. I never knew how to function. I never knew what was healthy. I was bad at recognizing what toxicity and abuse were. So I just, I wasn't prepared to handle anything. So whenever people kind of criticize me for like, you're handling the situation wrong. I'm like, how would you handle it? Like, I really don't know. Help me out. Well, that's kind of what I was, was about to get at is that, you know, I was listening to, I brought this up to the girls the other day. I was listening to Tana Manju's interview on call me daddy, um, which, and it's so funny because, you know, the social media and the YouTube world is sometimes very far removed from what mainstream society knows about, right? So the rest of my co-hosts were like, who's that? What's that? And I was like, okay, so let me back up, right? Because these are like, these are subcultures, but they're subcultures with literally 52 million followers. Like they're some of the biggest moments taking place in media right now, but they're still very niche, right? Now, if you're in on that tea, on that gossip there, you know, uh, so she just did this interview with Call Me Daddy, which I think it is the top five podcasts uh, in the world uh, right now. And um, I guess she had blown her off the first time. So they had a little bit of like a beef for years. So this was like her coming back on the show and them squashing their beef. And when she sat down with her and she started telling her story, which I had no idea her Tana's background, I was like, oh, she was explaining how she came from an incredibly abusive household in Las Vegas, where she finally just dropped out of school because no one ever woke her up to go to school. So she just missed so much that she was like, I guess I'll just stop going, you know? Now, this is her background. Now, fast forward, her YouTube channel sparks fire and she moves into, you know, one of the social media houses in Los Angeles. So all of a sudden, everyone's making money off of her and she's living with other YouTubers. No one ever taught, it occurred to me, no one ever taught this girl how to be an adult, nothing even close to it. And people are expecting her in the same way as you to to show up to things, to be on time, to have decorum, to not, you know, all of these things. And I thought, well, how impossible. And this is why we see young celebrities implode so often, right? Because especially when it takes spark at a young age and you have yes people all around you, how would you ever learn any different? Yeah, the thing with social media is it's not like traditional media where 
you have to kind of be groomed from a young age to work in the spotlight. Like I was just watching a piece on Zendaya, um, but I was watching a piece on her where basically her parents from a very young age put her into these like training situations like Ariana Grande, you know, she was in Broadway and training since a young kid. So those type of people are kind of taught like, yeah, it's like, this is how you act. This is how you audition. This is how you respond. But with social media, like I was like coming out of college, never had to live a real adult day in my life, you know, barely getting my grades and call. I mean, you went to university of Pittsburgh and what did you study? Uh, psychology, communications and economics. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So then I just like, I was living in my aunt's spare bedroom doing nothing like, and all of a sudden I was given all of these followers and attention. How do you go from blacking out four times a week in college to this? (laughs) It's a lot to manage. And you didn't have, so you're saying your family life wasn't so great. So there was not, there wasn't like mom and dad or siblings kind of, kind of picking up the pieces or supporting you. Yeah. It was just, it just that town in general, there's just not really a lot that kind of goes on and there's not really any entertainment type of industry or business there. So uh, outside of like local theater, what do I know? You know? So can you tell us how you went from that to, and I understand, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle and people get a lot of social media followers, but how did you go from that to writing New York times, bestselling books and being so insightful uh, to have come out with dandelion? I just had this, incredible urge and I guess I still do but I'm learning how to hone it a little to do as much as I possibly can I think I always had this weird fear that I was going to die very young (laughs) so I wanted to do as much as I possibly could before that happened and I just wanted to kind of take advantage of this the incredible honor that I was given. And I know how social media is. I know that everything can be taken from you in a second. So I just really wanted to do all the things that I never thought that I possibly could while I had the chance. And I've always loved writing. I've always loved poetry. And it the offer kind of presented itself to me and it was an incredible opportunity. So I'd be foolish not to take it. Can we take a step back? Because I noticed that you laughed when you said you always thought you were going to die very young. And I think a lot of us laugh as a defense mechanism. So can you just tell us what, you know, why, why was that a thought that was in your head? Because sometimes I say stuff out loud that I think all the time, and then I realize how absurd it is or how dark it might sound. But why did you think it? I just, I constantly think about death, which this year has actually become sort of a blessing because before it was an anxiety thing where like, I lay in bed at night and I'm like, oh my God, what if while I'm sleeping, there's an earthquake or a fire or I get murdered. And like, I constantly am thinking about the worst case scenarios. I think it's probably just like a PTSD and anxiety thing, but it's actually really worked in my favor this year because it helped me release my anxiety because I realized nothing matters because we all die. And like all the embarrassing shit that I may have done, no one's going to remember it in like a hundred years or less. So who cares? Does your anxiety over potentially having an embarrassment resurface from your past keep you up at night? Oh, for a while. This this year, especially because it felt like everyone was just taking the opportunity to, to throw stones. And it just felt like the stuff that I was being criticized for, it's like, oh, you never you never got in a fight with a friend before. You never said something that you weren't proud of. Like you're perfect and kind and humble all time at all times. 
for your entire life. Like, so I just like my mind was on constant replay of everything I've ever done wrong, every embarrassing moment, every fight I've ever had, every text I've ever sent, like anybody can screenshot anything. And it, it was just, it's hard because I, I already have so much internalized shame and embarrassment just because I have recently in the last like three or four years have woken up to the fact that I wasn't raised in a way that is normal. And therefore my communication and my defense mechanisms are not normal. And that it's, it's led to a lot of just embarrassing situations where it's like, I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have talked that way, but I've grown the fuck up and I, figured it out and I went to therapy and I work on myself as much as I can, but it's so painful and shitty to be in a situation where it's like, I'm, I'm finally good. I finally like who I am. I'm finally learning and I'm finally surrounded with people who treat me with love and respect and aren't afraid to call me out when I'm wrong and help me be better. And now is the time that I'm kind of being painted as somebody that I never really was but it's definitely closer to a version of who I used to be than who I am now but you're ready to handle it now you're on the verge of 30 (laughs) you are ready it's and it seems like your boyfriend is a good support system how long have you guys been together is he kind of like a saving grace in your life Uh, we started dating last August so about a year and a half Um, he's the best thing to ever happen to me he's when you see us together, especially if you you're somebody who knew me personally before we met, he just he centers me and grounds me in such an amazing way. And like if I get upset about something, he doesn't get upset back, and he kind of lets me sit in my own toxicity for a minute, where I'm like, oh, that's how healthy people deal with things. What I'm doing is like re- leftover remnants of abuse. So like. Now I know that that is not correct. Whereas opposed to other boyfriends I've had would scream at me or like call me names. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm used to. So he's just, he's an amazing person. That's incredible. And it's so inspiring. I'm sure for anybody listening to this that did grow up in abuse or, you know, not normal supportive family, how would you say that you made it's, it is a leap. I don't know how else to call it from being the child who was abused, who was raised in a home that was not quote unquote healthy, I guess, to surrounding yourself with people who love and support you, because that's a giant leap. How did you get there? Um, a lot of failed relationships, a lot of learning curve. Uh, I, I think that's, that's really it. It's just like every time I would get out of a relationship. It it was honestly this really weird karmic thing. I wrote my song, Bad Karma, about this situation where it felt like every time I would break up with a guy and start dating someone new, the new guy that I was dating was the version of myself in my last relationship. So I was like directly faced head on with, that's what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that. I had no fucking idea because that's not, you know what I mean? So it's like they were holding up a mirror to myself. And then I realized, okay, that's a toxic behavior that I used to do. And now I know that I shouldn't deal with that behavior. So I'm going to end this relationship and move on and be better in my next one because of it. So it was just a lot of growth, a lot of failure, a lot of heartbreak until you kind of learn. 
And do you have a strong faith? I notice that you're wearing a cross necklace. Is that is that another source of strength, or is it just cute jewelry because your boyfriend's father owns a jewelry store? Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually bought this from like not a, that that nice of a store. Uh, I think this is from Ross. I just like finding big, like bulky statement pieces. I actually on my brand new YouTube channel went into my relationship with religion, and I. I don't relate very heavily with organized religion. I believe in God, but this is just jewelry. Just jewelry. Right it's very Madonna, 87. Um, but what are some other sources of strength? Like you've obviously done the work in therapy. Like, do you work out? Do you meditate? Do you eat a certain way? Like, what are some of the other healthy ways you you fuel your recovery of sorts? I used to be addicted to working out. Uh, The pandemic definitely put a huge stop in that. I don't think I've worked out in like two months. I used to work out every single day for like three years straight. Um, So that was a big one for me. And letting go of it was really challenging, but I just couldn't work out the way I used to. We're in a pandemic. The gyms are closed, you know? (laughs) So um, I think it's mostly art, like painting. I smoke a lot, to be honest. And that really helped me to just smoke and I cigarettes to or a- marijuana oh never okay cigarettes. you're a singer <laughs> i'm like how do you smoke cigarettes and sing no i really shouldn't even be smoking weed but it helps me in such an insane way that but do you worry about that for your vocals at all it's not the best thing to do but it's also like the the benefits that i gain in my mental health and self-exploration definitely outweighs like I I take like a couple hits a night a few times a week so it's not like I'm chain smoking cigarettes it's like I take two or three puffs a few times a week but no it's It's not (laughs) it's an interesting time that we live in you know like you're you're talking to three women who grew up in a different era so like obviously that was uh an illegal like it was just a different time when we were growing up and it's such an interesting time when um and I look at like even just some of the social media channels from the really high end, you know, like cannabis companies and the different company. And we work with a lot of CBD companies, but like actual cannabis companies. And it's such an interesting, you know, it's, it's become really a, an entirely different thing and a very normalized thing to partake in and, and talk about. It might not be our cup of tea, but like, I think it really is interesting. And it's also a very LA answer. I'm going to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's very LA. Totally. I just had this conversation with my grandma recently uh, because I heard through the grapevine that she was worried about me. So I had to call her and just say, uh, here's the deal. Um, it's not dangerous. It's, I literally get it delivered to my door, like fucking Postmates. Um, I'm not, I'm not high all day. I have it like a glass of wine at night when I'm feeling a little tightly wound. Cause it helps me relax. It helps me think it helps me process a lot of trauma that I haven't processed. And for me, it's just like a beautiful tool. Like I, I painted one of my favorite paintings last night. Cause I just felt inspired in that moment. God, you, she paints, she sings, she writes. I can't that's, handle That's it. what I was thinking. Like, can you just take us through like a day in your life? Like I am wondering, um, I asked earlier in this interview, what, what came first, but I guess I'm interested in like, what is first in your mind? What is your true love? Like, tell us about your social media platforms. Tell us about your artistic process and tell us like what a day in your life is. Cause when somebody writes a book as Megan knows, cause she has one coming out in like five minutes, my book comes out in February and I'm like, I'm so, I get anxiety talking about your two New York times bestsellers. Are not right. Lie. So like, tell us, cause like you have to throw your whole self into it and you have so many other things going on. So where do you put like the bulk of your kind of workflow in, in any given day? 
Well, first, I'd like to ask Megan where the anxiety comes from. I, I want to explore that. You know, really quick. I, I feel like so I've been, I mean, I'm the editor in chief of Women's Day. I've been a magazine editor for 25 years. I to do TV, all the things this I'm so my book is called Your Fully Charged Life. And it is basically I feel like I've given birth to a fourth child. It is my heart, my soul, my guts. It is everything. And I don't think it will be easy to to take the haters. I, you know, and obviously there will be haters, but I'm like a little bit like, oh, my God, but this is my fourth child. Shut up. You just have to go into it knowing that at least half the people might really hate it. And then if you go into it with that, it's totally fine. And also don't read the reviews. Who fucking cares? You need to look at the reviews from the people who you care about. Take criticism from the people you care about because everybody thinks they're a critic. Not everybody is. (laughs) So, you know, just pick and choose where you have editors, you have people I'm sure who are reading it. Well, I see, I am a writer and editor and they didn't really make many changes. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Trust yourself. You're you're totally fine. Okay, I'm going to need this pep talk on February 23rd. Okay, listen, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this all like dovetails together because because these are, these are the things that consume our minds when we have a project in the works, right? And it seems like you always have so many. So my question was like, just kind of what bubbles to the top for you when you're creating content, creating art, writing poetry, writing New York Times bestsellers, like how... Tell us about like a day in your life. Well, music is always my number one dream and, and passion. Um, that though also, the the way music works is really hard for me because I like instant gratification. That's why I love social media so much. I love to know that I can create a video and post it the next day with music. It's like a months long process to get one song out. So I music is first and foremost at the front of my mind. That is my ultimate goal. But in that time, like where I don't have a studio session, I'm waiting on a mix, whatever it is. It's just wherever that day takes me. I have really bad ADHD and it's hard for me to stay focused on one thing for long. So like this month, for example, I just started a brand new YouTube channel where I was every single day filming, editing and uploading a video. And it brought me so much joy and excitement and fed me. So after 20 days of doing that, I was like, I did that. I'm happy with where I left that. Now I want to paint or now I want to work on a new song or now I want to work on something on social media. It's whatever is inspiring me that day. Once I get an idea in my head, I can't get away from it. I have to do that thing. Have you ever had anything that didn't work or is it like everything you do turns to gold? (laughs) I mean, I think it's easy to look at you and be like, well, everything she touches turns to gold. She's so lucky, but you work hard. And I think that's always missed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it depends. It's all relative, right? Like my new music video, uh, my most recent one has like 500,000 views on it. And to me, for a minute, I looked at that as something that was stressful, that it wasn't doing as well because some of my old music videos have tens of millions. But then I put it in perspective of, other independent artists and the fact that me like Gabby Hanna growing up in Newcastle, Pennsylvania did that, that it's still impressive. So like, I'm just kind of shaping my mind in a way that's a little more healthy for me where I would maybe look at that as a failure last year. And this year I'm so really proud of it. So it's only somebody told me you only fail when you quit. And that's been really important for me to remember is just don't quit and keep putting shit out there. Well, you're obviously not a quitter. So there you go. (laughs) There's one thing I can say about myself is I have a lot of perseverance. (laughs) Who do you hope reads Dandelion? 
It's never really crossed my mind. Uh, I just hope that everybody, I hope everybody reads it. <laughs> well, it seems like everybody is, right? Because it's already number five um, on the New York Times bestseller list. Not that I pay attention to the New York Times bestseller list at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to be next, so. It's wonderful. Um, as you, since you came along, I'm wondering who do you kind of look up to? Like who mentored you or who do you role model your, you know, who's your role model? And like, as the second piece of that question, do you ever kind of reach your hand back out to try to mentor other people, younger women as they come up in the same way? Maybe people helped you. Definitely. Um, I, I think I have different mentors depending on what what project am I working on? Like when it comes to music, I really look to my producer and co-writer to tell me if I'm doing something performance wise that I should, because they're a lot more skilled with actual like singing and performance and structure. So if they give me their opinion, I take it very seriously. Uh, the person who I owe a lot to is Bo Burnham, not because he personally reached out or anything, but just because I, was always so inspired by him and his whole journey and career. And I, I do my very best that when I see, especially another female artist that I really fuck with, I make sure to put them on my story, reach out to them on Twitter and just try to uplift other women, especially in music as much as I can, because every listener is important, even though like I might not have the biggest audience to be shouting someone out. Every listener is important because like five people might become diehard fans just because of that. I think it's important. Absolutely. Well, you well, kind that's... of do have a massive audience though. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I was I thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's all relative. <laughs> like, I guess if you tell 20 million people to do something or 3 million on Instagram, like if 1% does that, like you could make someone's life, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're all about lifting up other women. It's kind of like our whole thing. It's very much how we operate. So I love to hear that from you. And I think we all just really respect you. You are a bright, incredible young woman, and you clearly have an incredible future in front of you. Long and future. Dirty 30 coming up. I like can't believe you're not even 30 yet. That's, that's going to be your decade. I feel it. I think so too. I've been so nervous for a minute. I think something that stressed me out maybe from like 27 on and 27 is when I started my music career is I kept telling myself like, oh my God, most artists make it in their early twenties or teens. Like so few make people make it after 30. And I put that in my head and I was the only person putting that in my head and stopping myself. And then one of my friends told me like, you have to get that out of your head. Once you unlock your power and realize that that does not matter at all, you're going to be so much better off. And now I'm so, so, so excited for my thirties. I think I'm going to fucking kill it. it <laughs> it's really like the is. best decade. Like now as a 45 year old, I, like they're just the confidence and the clarity that come during those years. It's just like, it's epic and it's everything. And you will crush life in ways you never imagined. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> no, I know. I know it. We're, we're positively manifesting. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're big manifestors. Over here. <laughs> and honestly, girl, it just gets better and better. So we wish you all the best. And we always close up our show with two quick rounds. Okay. So the first one is a lightning round. I have three questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. Question number one, morning or evening workout? Oh, morning. Oh, good. Uh, what is your favorite workout? I like doing hit anything like cardio and weights at once because I need to just like get it done. <laughs> get it girl. And coffee, tea, or matcha? 
Coffee, baby, coffee. With you on all of those. Um, <laughs> our last segment is called Karma Call. Yeah, Karma Call. Megan just says it. I do it because I'm getting over my fear of public singing because my second grade teacher told me just to move my mouth and not say the word. So now I say karma call wait, wait, wait to work Hold through on. that. What? It's her You're, process. Told you not to say. Oh, no, I'm serious. When I was in second grade, Mrs. Okrepke said, just move your mouth and don't make the words come out. I was traumatized and I was a theater major and never sang publicly again. And somehow this squad has me saying, karma call. Because we love you and you're awesome. That's why. What a <laughs> shitty teacher. Okay. Oh my God. Right? Right? Mrs. Okrepke, where are you She has now? some serious karma coming to her. That's all. All right. But I explained, because I am a yogi, that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests what is one small actionable item that our listeners could try for a short period of time that might yield a giant result it could be drinking water every morning mm. oh I think for me it was starting to compliment other people every chance I got which sounds like it's not for you but it, it kind of is so compliment others whenever you can every day that is a good one it. I really like Great that one. one. We started the show like that. I mean, we were like loving on your Totally. Well, you rock. I mean, pure and simple, you rock. We loved having you on and best of luck in all of your endeavors. You're incredible. And thank you everybody for joining us from home today or wherever you're listening from. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. We're available everywhere that podcasts are consumed. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.